Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Love and Other Drugs. You don't have to have wasted your time on this terrible film to enjoy the podcast, but you might get just a little bit more out of the podcast if you have seen it. So if you do proceed having not seen the film, just be aware that there are plot spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. All right. How's it going? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Good. It's 2018. It is 2018. This is our first recording of 2018. It's scary. 2018 is a year where I expected to, like, have at least one robot appendage. <laughs> like, <laughs> right right leg, robot right leg, laser eye, jetpack to work. Yeah. I was going to go straight in with jetpacks, which is the obvious one. But, yeah, as soon as you said robot, I was thinking, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have, like, a robot butler or someone around the house to do the chores or a robot to go to work for me instead of me or that kind of thing. But you're just, like, appendage. Yeah, I need a, I wanna, I, I need I a leg. A, I want a robot gun leg. That's what I want. Wasn't that the name of uh, a metal band in the 90s? <laughs> a spin-off of Filter or something like that. Robot yeah. gun leg. Robot gun leg. Band. <laughs> Who took their name in turn from a spin-off of the anime Gundam Wing. Or there's lots of anime with with gun in the title, isn't there? Yeah, it's um, it's it's quite a quite a gun heavy art form. It is even even the the greatest of anime often includes at least one gun at some point. Yeah, are there are there any anime in which someone has a gun appendage? Probably uh, that has, I'm gonna has search, to be a thing. I'm going to search anime gun arm. Not appendage, because that's quite that, a that's a much broader term yeah, that could result you, in you might get some unsavory results. Yes. <laughs> or uh, if you are going to do that, just make sure you've got the incognito window open and on your <laughs> Google Chrome. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look it up on a work laptop. Um, there is an entire TV tropes page called Arm Cannon, and then in anime cool. and manga, there is a lot here. Um, so let's have a little look at is that not just like when a really muscular man like shows his arms and goes be careful these cannons could go off at any minute (laughs) if only um it's like a a gaston kind of thing that that would be amazing Um, speaking of which have you seen there's an advert for like tourism to wales and it's luke evans and he's like flying a plane over Wales and talking in a very Welsh voice about how great Wales is. It's very hot. That's awesome. I love I love Luke Evans. A previous Come Visit Wales um, advert um, used this music in the background, and I uh, and I was like, oh, I can't. I've, this music sounds vaguely familiar. I don't know what it is. And it turned out to be this indie band that I'd seen at Bestival like three years previously. Um, were they Welsh? That th- that were very Welsh, incredibly Welsh. Um, and I'm not sure what happened to them in the end, but they were very good. Um, I don't know. I can't remember now. Welsh, Welsh uh. advert band. Welsh <laughs> advert, advert band. band. 
whatever advert is in Welsh. Welshy, but, um, in, Welshy in the adverts, I think they're <laughs> Welshy in the adverts. But um, Wales actually does have a very good and sort of quite closely knit scene with, yes, with regards yeah. to indie music. It seems to be very nurturing. Yeah, it's very, very supportive. Um, we've played with a couple of Welsh bands over the years and um, they're always sort of like doing community stuff together. Even the bigger bands get involved in like supporting the smaller bands in the scene, which is really nice. Um, yeah, it's something that I think definitely. a lot of other places in the UK could learn from. Um, so like areas like the Scottish scene, for instance, like all of the different cities in Scotland, they're all really good at like bigging up their own bands as well, which is great. Um, but yeah, definitely like London, South East, really the South West as well isn't that good at doing it. Um, no, it's a, it's a strange thing. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see that kind of community grow elsewhere as well. Yeah. So that's the 2018 resolution for you. Music scene people get on it. Yeah. Be nice to each other. Don't be dicks. Yeah. Be good. (laughs) Do you have Um, any new year's resolutions, Paddy? Um, just you know the usual kind of stuff not not in a kind of like i'm going to do this and it's definitely going to change my life way i'm trying to be a bit more casual about it because i do feel like new year's resolutions are kind of a cliche but at this point they're also starting to come out the other side where it people will defend them and i will defend them as a way of just kind of of self-care you know if it's if your new year's resolution is just to like spend more time on yourself even if it's something like you know spend a bit more time reading you know so one of the one of the smaller things that i'm doing as a kind of a, a zen tech thing is that um my phone gets up later than me in the morning and goes to bed before me at night as well so i'm trying to switch my phone off and go to bed and read before i actually go to sleep so that you're not then checking your phone looking at a screen before you go to bed and when i get up in the morning i'm thinking about if i get up and go for a run and then have my breakfast and do do all that stuff before checking my phone so to that end we went and bought a couple of new alarm clocks which felt like a really kind of backwards grandfatherly thing to do but we now have like these alarm clocks and they're working really well and I'm not looking at my phone in the morning and feels good, man. Feels oh, good. Brilliant. How about yeah. you? Um, I'm my my main goal is to continue um my weight loss regime that I started at the tail end of last year, um, which is going pretty well. It took a dip over the last month or so because of Christmas and like a huge additional workload at work. Um, which kind of drained my ability to eat healthily because I was spending so much additional time not at home. It's just That's much kind of to, to be expected in December. Like December's yeah. your one kind of time when you... I think your body expects it too. Because I found out when I went for a run yesterday on New Year's Day, having not been for a run for an entire month, that I more or less picked up where I left off and I was still able to maintain the pace I was doing before and do an okay distance and stuff. And I was worried that I'd just like immediately turn into a lump of jelly and fall on the pavement. <laughs> oh dear. Um I um yeah, I haven't I haven't uh got uh round to doing like some major exercise yet after my Christmas break, but I'm kind of dreading it. Is that I'm not sure exactly what's gonna happen. Yeah, but, uh, what's your what's your usual routine? So do you, you sh- even lift, bro? Do I do vaguely lift, Brosephine. <laughs> um 
I uh, yeah, so I do some like arm weights. I do some um, I do cardio on an exercise bike for about an hour, and um, do like sit ups, press ups, uh, ab intensive yoga as well. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, which was working really well, but just not having the time to do it was um, not very good at the end of last year. So yeah, that's that's my main goal. My other goal is to not fuck up things. That's, <laughs> I think that's that... a goal we could all do with, with implementing. Look um, at something, re- read that email back to yourself, and go, "Am I about to fuck shit up?" Yeah, and not in a, about... not in a good way, <laughs> yeah. not in a fun way. Yeah, not in an Arnold Schwarzenegger Hercules in New York way. There's a difference between fucking shit up and fucking up, because fucking shit up implies you're barging into a room. And throwing a fucking bottle and going, right, you motherfuckers, this is what we're doing right now. And everyone listens to you and you change the world. Yeah, it implies you punch a wall and then you find that there are a bunch of Nazis behind it and your gun arm comes out and it shoots them all dead. Yeah, exactly. That's what fucking shit up is. But fucking up would be if you punch a wall and break your hand. And that's the end yeah. of the story. Um, yeah, so so I've, I'm starting a new a new job in um in a few weeks um i am i recently started a new writing gig um at the tail end of last year as well Mm -hmm. Um, and i have a kitten so my goals for 2018 are keep doing well with the writing don't fuck up the new job and the kitten should not become a shit bag and those are my those are my (laughs) three goals my three main goals and then lose weight that's that's four pretty good goals. With the kitten, I thought you were just going to be, the kitten should not die. <laughs> well, I would say that. But then if the kitten does die at some point in the year, I'll feel awful. Um, but cats are very self-sufficient, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But in case it gets ill or anything, I'd feel awful about making light of it. Um, I'm ridiculously yeah. attached to Minnie the kitten. Um, maybe put oh, a photo of Minnie in the cute. show notes in case any of our listeners haven't seen her, in spite of the fact that I'm sharing yeah. images of, where, of her everywhere possible. I put a link to your Instagram with her on, I think, a couple of episodes ago, but I'll oh, put an okay. actual photo yeah. in there this time. Um, she's ridiculously lovely and the nicest cat in the world. Um, unfortunately, she is not in the room with me right now, pulling out cables or jingling. Oh, um, well, that's good f- Good for the, the reliability of the podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a definite improvement. As she took it upon herself to to rip out the cable while I was ranting about the elf on the shelf, I know I keep I know I keep going on about it, but you all missed some really quality content. There. Yeah, I know. I feel really bad about it, and I did tell her off. I'm hoping that she'll listen to me if like yep. if she's in the room the next time I'm recording. Um, but I don't know if she will. You she should can't. get her an, an elf on the shelf. <laughs> She'd probably attack it, destroy yep. it. That'd be that'd be okay with that. So either way, it's a win-win situation. Either she behaves herself or she destroys an elf on the shelf. Yeah, there's, there's n- everyone's a winner, as my dad likes to say. <laughs> everyone's a winner. Yeah, it's just like any opportunity to drop that phrase into a conversation. It'll be so, there. So there's one time where this phrase could not be used, and that is people who watch Love and Other Drugs, where nobody's oh a winner. Yes. Where, no, where nobody is a winner. Absolutely nobody wins who is either involved with this film, starred in it, involved in the production in any way, or watched it. 
Yeah. So I, I, I sent you a message, Paddy, apologising profusely for this choice. <laughs> you did, which doesn't um, happen very often, to be fair. That's only happened no. once or twice. And I don't think I've ever apologised to you, even though you probably feel like I should for the Bridges of Madison County. I mean, yeah, that, that has put a, a, a permanent tear in our friendship, the fact that you made me watch that film. But um, I, I went to go and see Love and Other Drugs, I think, in the cinema. Um, I I haven't seen it since then, but I think I saw it in the cinema. It may well have it been came more... out in two thousand and ten. Yeah. Right? So were we still studying at so Exeter I think at we that were point? Still... Mm. No, Did you it see was it in the, the cinema in Exeter. It was the end of it was the end of the year so by that point we would have finished our masters and were waiting to graduate right so i will so been... it was after the incident when we got the the national express coach down to exeter stopped off at gordano services and an, a very angry man punched the door of the coach and broke the glass in and then stood in the car park howling and we had to wait for the police to come and get him <laughs> yes it was <laughs> good times which is one of my greatest memories of of my times with you, Paddy. Where he also smashed up a guitar. <laughs> I remember he had correctly. an acoustic guitar. He felt he like found it in a bush and then smashed it up against the coach. Which was yeah, it was um, it was certainly something. It was an eventful eventful trip that one. Um, I yeah, enjoyed so... watching that man smash up a guitar much more than I enjoyed watching Love and Other Drugs. <laughs> I I did as well. I enjoyed waiting in a service station bored out of my mind more than i enjoyed watching love and other drugs but the first time around i watched this i think it must have been one of those cases where you turn up at the cinema and this doesn't really happen anymore but i don't know if you remember this when we were younger where you just turn up at the cinema and see what was on and be like oh yeah that looks all right let's go see that yeah definitely i mean if you think about it the end of 2010 i think i got my first iphone that year and it was still kind of relatively early on in the iPhone journey. And it was my dad's old iPhone, the iPhone 1, whatever it was, which didn't have 3G. Um, and there was no there was no Netflix, was there? I no. think we had Love love Film by Post. So you'd get the DVDs and the Post. And one time I, I lost a disc, so I just ignored it and didn't return it to them for months. And then I found it like nine months later and eventually returned it and got back into the cycle. But yeah, there wasn't, there really wasn't as much choice even then. We're going back only, you know, seven years. That there was not just not as much choice in film and television and content as there is now. And yeah, you just rock up to the cinema. What the, what's on? Sure, I'll go and see that shit. Why not? Yeah, exactly. And that and that's what used to happen all the time. And sometimes you'd watch some real stinkers. Um, my my fondest memory of that is seeing that terrible movie Wild Hogs about a bunch of middle aged men who start a um, motorcycle gang. I have not heard of this film. Um, does it, it star does, Guy Fieri? It does not. I wish it did. No, it stars Tim Allen, John Travolta, and William H Macy. Oh, and they form a motorcycle gang called the Wild Hogs. But it turns out that there's already a Wild Hogs and antics ensue. Um, yeah. there was not very many. There was there was like two funny jokes in it. Um, one of them made a reference to Easy Ride and the other one made a reference to Deliverance. And I remember that me and the friend that I went to go see it with were the only two people in the cinema who laughed at those two bits. And we were the people who were silent throughout the rest of the movie whilst everyone no. else laughed at like fart jokes and stuff. Um, That's never a good sign. No, no. And I'm not someone who has, like I have a mature sense of humour and an immature sense of humour. I can laugh at stupid stuff. Yeah. This was like, like a... The mark of a truly serious man is someone who can 
occasionally laugh at a fart. Yes. Um, farts but... are the only thing that are universally funny. <laughs> Apart from Richard Spencer getting punched in the head. That's oh, the yeah, only yeah. other thing I'd say is universally funny. Even Richard Spencer laughs at Richard Spencer getting punched yeah. in the head. He just doesn't admit it. He's too yeah. proud to admit that him being punched in the head is a hilarious act. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Love and Other Drugs, I saw. And I remember coming out of the cinema and thinking, you know what, that wasn't that bad. And I, I specifically remember thinking, oh, it had some, like, good, like, adult-feeling romance in it. And it had a good message about, like, the the pharmaceutical industry in America. And that proved, And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's, like, an interesting subtext for a rom-com. That's quite an interesting way to look at a rom-com. Um, yeah, but, I think you can really see what they were trying to achieve, yeah. certainly. And I guess if you went into it with an open mind... Um, you know, back in the the glory days of pre Netflix cinema, um, <laughs> you, um, I can see how you'd been like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, no, we've become hardened and cynical now, haven't we? But yeah, I I yeah. went into it probably thinking, well, obviously you'd already told me it was bad, so I went into it with low expectations. But I um, I did think that the subject matter was very very interesting i mean i can't think of any other film i know that explores the creation of viagra or the pharmaceutical industry and that's like really really fertile ground for a great drama or even a hilarious film like there's a lot of hilarity to be had in that but the way it was handled it was just executed very very badly on a number of levels unfortunately yeah and and that's the big problem with it is that there is there is a chance for an interesting movie to exist in Love and Other Drugs, whether it's to do with the creation of Viagra, whether it's to do with the way in which um, the pharmaceuticals industry in America does target doctors and does try and undercut uh, patient well-being in the name of money, which is like a serious issue. And there, there's a really good grounds for a, um, a, 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 sat- a satirical look at that potentially um yeah like, like imagine um imagine the wolf of wall street but to do with drug companies that would be an amazing film and you could kind yeah. of see that working in that regard but this movie it takes a really strange look at it so it 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 adds a really cliched romance into what could be a a very biting social commentary um and then makes one of the two members of the romance the unlikable side of history <laughs> which i think yeah. is a it's a bold move it's a bold strategy definitely yeah. um i'm not sure how well it worked and makes the other one sick yes when it's convenient yes which is it's almost it's not not a million miles away from a christmas prince it's called spina bifida and there's no cure is it <laughs> i was thinking that it, when when it, when it really of- made me think of that yeah, when discussions of Parkinson's came up in this film, um, I was definitely early on set Christmas Prince, and um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting uh, how badly this movie handles its subject matter, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strangely it was a really long film. It felt like it went on forever, and I looked at the running time. It was like an hour and fifty minutes, which for this kind of film is quite long. I think mm. most rom coms average what hour and a half hour and 40 maybe but yeah an hour and 50 is quite long and it felt that way because what they did was they 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 basically had two or three different stories that they stitched together and it didn't really work so it started off with him kind of having his 
his like his douchey like career. He gets fired from his job in t- working in a Radio Shack. Goes and works in the pharmaceutical industry. Blah blah blah. There's a bunch of stuff with that, and then he meets this woman, and then there's some more bullshit about his pharmaceutical industry job, and some more satirical stuff, and then eventually, it's probably about an hour in that their kind of romance actually starts blossoming, and then you think, oh, it's actually about that, and then for the last kind of half an hour, it's purely focused on that and not on the looking at the pharmaceutical industry and the Viagra and his job. So it just feels like it took an hour to get to the point of just having a straight-up romance between two people, one of whom is sick, which could have been a very, very interesting, dramatic role, and, and like mm-hmm. a, a really interesting, dramatic story between two people, but that because it was prefaced by an hour of Jake Gyllenhaal in his douchiest role ever, being an absolute prick, that it just fell really flat. Yeah, and I think that's the problem, is this movie... <sighs> There's nothing wrong with having an intensely unlikable central character. Um, like I brought up Wolf of Wall Street earlier. Jordan Belfort. I have still scumbag. not seen The Wolf it's, of Wall Street. It's very good. It's very good. And the lead character is a scumbag. And you're supposed to think he's a scumbag. Even though he's charismatic, he's a charismatic scumbag. Um, but the problem with with um, Love and Other Drugs is because it's so framed around this central romance... And the tropes that come with that central romance, you're not allowed to despise him or you're not allowed to feel like you're supposed to despise him. Um, So he just comes across as awful, but not in a way where you can enjoy seeing how awful he is. Yeah, there's no there's no depth to his awfulness. Like with with Jordan Belfort, you know that I guess I'm assuming that it's kind of there's elements of social commentary and, you know, things you're supposed to feel are conflicts within him, but there's absolutely no conflict within Jake Gyllenhaal's character in this film at all. He's a straight up douchey dude who likes to sleep with women because he's such a stud. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he likes to fuck around with people's medication and he likes to undercut doctors and he's a, he's a cheeky chappy. Um, and it's like, mm, it's, uh, yeah. Um, it, it it really is detrimental to the film. And a lot of the movie is spent with him basically flirting his way into positions where he can then exploit people. Um, so it happens time and time again. Um, and then he, he starts up this sort of relationship with Anne Hathaway's character, Maggie Murdoch. And, um, and initially he's doing that to try and undercut and exploit people. But then eventually they, they come to like you know, uh, get together solely in a sexual manner. And then there's more of that sort of romantic relationship. And, th- and that's where the movie tropes come in, where it's like, it's almost like a friends with benefits, but imagine that Justin yeah. Timberlake was a horrible drug rep <laughs> and, Mila, <laughs> and Mila Kunis had Parkinson's and it was completely devoid of humor and both parties oh, no. were awful. That would be such a terrible film, but yeah, the, the portrayal of, sex and the eroticism of this film is very interesting as well because it's the complete opposite to friends with benefits isn't it where we we talked about that film quite a lot about how it portrays sex in a very positive way and that wanting to just have sex with people is fine casual sex is fine you know all of these kind of things there are no kind of judgments passed on any of that and in this film jake gyllenhaal has a lot of casual sex and there's quite a lot of nudity as well there's quite a lot of um, gratuitous shots of Anne Hathaway's body, and that's that's fine. 
in and of itself but it but because his character is so douchey and because there's always this overtone of kind of masculine misogyny it just feels it just doesn't feel like it's working it just feels gratuitous and tacked on and it feels a bit like yeah it feels a bit like a male fantasy power trip and it just makes you think yeah it's 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 i i remember uh the movie's portrayal of sex as being much more interesting than it was on a second watch um and that's primarily because i entirely forgot about any relationships he has with anyone before Anne hathaway in the film (laughs) so the only thing that i remembered was that he's a sleazy drug rep guy he tries to exploit people then he gets into this relationship with someone and i think like the core relationship dynamic between them to begin with is relatively positive in that they're two people who enjoy having sex and that's fine but you're right about like and it is it it's kind of it does go both ways in terms of their um in terms of the nudity um if you like seeing naked jake gyllenhaal which you know i think a lot of people do um yeah this is a good movie to watch if you just skip through most of it so if you just like you know read a book whilst it's on and then when you hear like the sex music come on have a look up and you might see some jake gyllenhaal butt um yeah you know or some which, which Anne is, hathaway boob yes yeah um and like but yeah overall i i think because there's this tone of him being an exploitative character um without it really going to the full lengths of satire and social comedy that it uh, and 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 uh, social commentary that it needed to it really is detrimental to the film as a whole and it makes those scenes feel sleazier than they need to um which is a real shame because there is potential there um and it's potential that i saw on the first watch but then clearly warped in my mind over the years to something that's better than it actually was yeah well we we were young and naive then weren't we <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I mean, yeah I, no, I i agree with that it definitely comes across as very very sleazy and i thought at the end that i concluded that the anne hathaway's character and all of the female characters in the whole film only exist to prove what a great guy he is or to kind of to try and make out that his character is this kind of like really hyper cool masculine god and it's like when when she gets sick um oh the the whole climax hinges on whether like he can he can be with her or not because he wants there to be a cure but there isn't a cure so he eventually decides to to run after her her in a car and tell her that he can be with her and it's all about it's all about him it feels like it's just Mm. all about him when she's the one who's dying it's it's yeah it's fucked up man yeah and that's a real issue with it um is that there's this you've put the nail on the head there where um it's she is not the central focus of her own illness um and you can understand that kind of idea in a film being explored very well about how difficult it would be to be with someone who's terminally ill and whose condition is only going to get worse um but you kind of would need to portray it from both sides and portray it from how difficult the the person suffering with it is finding that decision as well, which they do very slightly in this film, but nowhere near enough to give it that balance um, and nowhere near enough to get away with a cliche rom-com ending. And again, it comes down to the fact that this movie has two parts that do not gel whatsoever. If you took the, the, the stupid rom-com storyline out of this entirely, took those tropes away, like that whole thing about him coming to terms with 
the terminal illness of someone that he loves could work incredibly well as a film. But because it's all trapped in this rom-com ideal, the, the, this, this very cookie-cutter approach to filmmaking, it becomes impossible to have that and make it a compelling film without it feeling very exploitative of people with illness um, and just very seed, seedy and horrible. Yeah, it's seedy and it's just so focused on his masculine douchebaggery that that just has to come down to kind of the direction and the writing and stuff, doesn't it? So it's directed by Edward Zwick, which sounds like a range of scented candles, but is in fact (laughs) (laughs) a man's name. And I wasn't aware of any of his work before. So let's see what else he's done. Let's see. Edward Zwick is an American filmmaker work primarily in the comedy drama and epic historical film genres including about last night glory legends of the fall and the last samurai none of which i have seen okay so he's done some he's done some great films um he he directed blood diamond oh okay incredible movie absolutely incredible um defiance is very very good as well um it's a it's a very good sort of like historical uh world war ii drama um and yeah, so he he has done these very good films, um, but they're all kind of sort of shooty bangy action films, or or are they? I don't know. Well, Defiance is Blood Diamond has violence in it, but it's violence about blood diamonds, about the diamond industry, about exploitation and things like that. Um, so it all works very well in that setting. Um, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's he's an interesting director who's done some very good films over the years um, yeah and now that isn't... i think about it love and other drugs the pace of it and particularly one thing i was going to say is that the scenes are all way too long mm. um and they're all very very labored and i think that comes from a, a more kind of action film epic historical background doesn't it of that the length of the film and the way it unfolds probably actually fits that kind of thing more so maybe when he was trying to make a a more of a romantic film it was hard not to fall into the patterns of filmmaking that he knew i don't know it's the one thing that i find about this film that i i always think about but what that i was thinking about since i saw it again and something that i thought about at the time after i watched it was was there a lot of interference here? Were, was he trying to, because he's a filmmaker who tells interesting stories, so Blood Diamond's a very interesting movie. Um, was he trying to tell a story here, but then having to work within this framework of a rom-com, of a romantic movie? Like, would could he have, what was, so was this initial idea that he had then sort of like pushed into this format that didn't necessarily work with the themes that he was trying to portray. Yeah, it sounds like a classic kind of studio interference thing, maybe, doesn't it? Or they said it's got to have got to have this or it won't sell or that kind of thing. Or like a like Toby Wiseau going, I have to show my ass or the movie won't sell. I think it's that, it's that kind of thing. Um, but the other thing that really intrigued me about this film was that it's based on a book. Like mm. a lot of the kind of weird rom-coms is based on a, a quite not a straight up fiction book you know, in the same way as um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is based on kind of a weird non-fiction book. This film was based on a memoir um, called Hard Sell, The Evolution of a Viagra Salesman by Jamie Reedy. 
and the character is called Jamie Randall. So it's obviously supposed to be a portrayal of him. But what I couldn't find anywhere while looking researching the book was whether the book portrays any of the romantic plot at all, or whether it's just a straight up I was selling Viagra and I was a douchebag memoir. In which case that would fit with the the kind of it would have been a much more interesting film if you just did that. But maybe the memoir is douchey and it just took the douchiness from it and made that into a film. So what I reckon, and this is pure uh, speculation here, entirely speculation, book itself, a critical look at what it's like to be a drug rep. Very sort of like nasty, tells the whole truth of what it's like to work for a company like Pfizer. Um, The book did well, well enough to then be sold off as movie rights. The book was well enough known that this esteemed director of dramas picked it up however the studio then said this has got to be a romantic movie i would venture to say that that's probably exactly what happened do you reckon that's what i reckon it must have been yeah um because like i said there there's so much potential here for a movie that looks at the life of a pharmaceutical company yeah but it could it would have been i think a much harder sell Mm. you'd have to try and do it you could do it. They really, they should have given it to Michael Lewis. Like Michael Lewis could have made an amazing film of that, along the lines of like The Big Short or one of those kind of films. I reckon. I think he's overrated, but some of his films are really, really good. And yeah, they just maybe yeah, Edward Zwick was the one who picked it up, and he was willing to to work in the thing changes that the studio wanted. I mean, if you look at all the marketing and the trailers and the posters and stuff, the poster makes it look like a kind of slightly more erotic than usual rom-com and that's it it doesn't really hint at the stuff around the drug and pharmaceutical industry at all really so they weren't selling it on that basis were they no and that that's entirely true but then when you look at the subject matter of the film itself clearly so much research has gone into how these companies operate yeah Um, i i think they must have gotten a lot of input from pfizer themselves because their logo and their company is all over the film mm. so they must have not only agreed to it but agreed to it to have a lot of input into it on the basis that it would portray them in a positive light. And that kind of worries me as well. Which is, which is interesting because it doesn't portray them in a p- positive light at all. <laughs> it portrays drug companies as awful scumbag companies full of monsters. Yeah, but you're supposed to kind of believe that that's okay because it facilitates his his masculine douchebaggery, doesn't it? It's just part of the background building up of all of that, really. It's kind of secondary to it. Do you think, because I don't think there's yeah. any way that someone could come out of this movie thinking positively about it, unless they were already the kind of sociopath that Pfizer would want to recruit. Well, like, yeah. Because, it... because even even his sort of like the positive end of this movie um, involves him coming round almost to her way of thinking and her distaste for pharmaceutical companies. So even even within the movie's own framework, the bad guys are always Pfizer and the bad guys are always the drug reps. Yeah, that's true, but he's one of them, isn't he? He is, but by the end he's but by the end he's a repentant drug rep. By the end he's repentant for the for the crimes that he's committed previously in the movie and kind of accepts the role that he's played in damaging the the medical community. So I'd yeah. be surprised if if anyone came out of this thinking, "Hey, you know what? That Pfizer company, they're all right. They're not yeah, monsters. Man, they did some they're good not shit. exploiting poor people. They're not exploiting sick people." No, but they did agree to it. So I'd imagine that they did sign off on it somehow. So the the amount 
there's still their amount of input into it does yeah does worry me a little bit but there's also the the one scene that did really really make me laugh was when they first get the viagra and it's him and the boss guy what's the oh, what's the actor's name Ol- oliver platt oliver platt yeah and they um it's um, really, really good use of um, Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. And they open the trunk of the car and it's got all the Viagra in it and they're like dancing in slow motion to Heaven is a Place on Earth. That made me absolutely howl with laughter. That, like, that I thought was really, really good. And that showed the potential also for there to be really, really good comedy and fun, like hilarious things to be found in the comedy of the, the evil of the pharmaceutical industry and the hubris of the industry. But yeah, that that was that one scene and then it, it went away. And, and that's the real problem is that every every part of the movie that focuses on the pharmaceutical side, that focuses on critiquing pharmaceutical companies, is so much better than the rest of it. So like those early scenes where you see the um, the sort of like training program that they go to and like the glamour that they throw at these people and everything like that, you think, oh, God, this is really horrible. It's basically like they're brainwashing these people with ideas of, of with like capital, capitalist ideals to then go out and sell these drugs to people that will then completely impact on somebody's life. And you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's really interesting the way they're doing that. And then all of a sudden, it's Jake Gyllenhaal eyes up the person who's been their sort of like trainer, and then they're naked in a bed. And you're like, oh, okay. This yeah, is where. of course. Um, but, and then there's that very clever line. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, uh, where, where she turns him in, in bed and, he says, and she says, oh, what are you thinking about right now? And he's, he says something like getting rich or something. And that works very well. And it like it brings you back into that, okay, maybe there's going to be something interesting here. But the fact that it then it, it descends into this like, oh, romance, you know, true love and in the face of like great problems like Parkinson's, you can still find true love even if you're a shitbag. It's like, yeah, of oh. course. It starts with the usual, I can't commit to anyone. I, can't, I don't want to commit to anyone. I don't want to say I love you. It starts with that nonsense. And then and then quite quickly, like transforms into an exploitative thing of using her illness to big up his character. So, mm. yeah, that's that's bad. And yes. also, because it's, it's set in the 90s, there's loads and loads of like really heavy 90s references until they get to the romance part and then it's like they, they stop bothering to show anything that indicates that it's in the 90s. Yeah, and that's another huge problem is like, apart from them saying like, hey, Nirvana is a band and stuff like that <laughs> it's really clumsy like the opening credits have um that song that sounds like mbop but isn't mbop and every time you hear it i'm like yeah and it's also a bit like um peter andre but isn't peter andre either <laughs> That one thing that I was hoping for in it was uh, exactly. <laughs> this is um, why it does have canon. Ten it things does have I hate about you is the best film ever made. Sorry, go on. Cannonball. It, it, it by does have the Cannonball by the Breeders, which is a great song. That um, is, but yeah, it, it's. It, I, I, I'm going to keep referring to Wolf of Wall Street as if you'd seen it, Paddy, because this is. This I movie, feel like I've seen it, even you, though I haven't. You need to go and watch it. It's really funny. It's really like scathing, biting, acerbic. It's brilliant. Um, and and like that gets the sort of like because it because that movie moves through time quite rapidly. Right. Um, but it but each and every step of it 
feels right and it feels like they've got the tone and the setting perfect for each era that it's in whereas this apart from references like like that nirvana sure is a band and uh oh what do you think of that president bill clinton isn't he a a man in office right now um (laughs) Without it, apart from that, it doesn't feel 1990s. It doesn't look 1990s in the slightest, um, no. and and it doesn't seem to impact on the story whatsoever. Almost to the point where you think you could have done this so much better. That there was so much potential here. It does. The only reason they did that was obviously because that to just to be historically accurate with the creation of Viagra. But the creation of Viagra wasn't even really important to the story at all, apart from that it gave a chance to show what a cool, successful guy he is when really it just fell into his lap because he's a mediocre white guy. And again, that could have been an amazing point of they they tried these predatory practices with Zoloft and it didn't work, but then they found something where they could exploit what doctors themselves wanted with Viagra. And lo and behold, then they can get into the industry. And then they're able to pour in all of the shit around the fact that they're getting all of these Viagra licenses out there. And that would have been amazing. They could have done a movie about yeah. that. Just about that. And it would have been incredible. But instead, it that just becomes this kind of secondary awesome thing. Film. Um, so perhaps the worst tragedy of this film is the fact that it, it wasted an incredible cast would you not no, say? No, the, the worst tragedy of this film is that it used the Macarena. <laughs> but, that, but, but the use of the Macarena in that scene during the training sequences kind of shows how like brainwashy and horrible it is. So I'll give it a pass for that. If it yeah, no, a, no, it if, was... If the rest of them... If the rest it was of the used movie in a good way. Better, yeah. It's just such a poisonous, horrible, awful dirge and a crime against music. <laughs> <laughs> and a crime against dancing and music two for and the humanity one. and humanity yep sorry go on the cast um yeah so the cast right jake Gyllenhaal, great actor Anne hathaway great oliver platt great hank azaria great josh gad great judy Gu- uh, judy greer all these amazing <sighs> people in this movie um Love and judy they're greer. all they're all wasted they're all completely wasted yeah and that's the thing a lot of because the performances for the most part are quite good because yeah. they're all very very good actors they're just acting such a douchey meninist script that it's just terrible and yeah judy greer is kind of she's usually usually plays quite sassy women or does often play a secretary she's kind of like typecast in that but yeah she's really kind of unsassy and very kind of subservient in this and yeah it stinks and jo- Josh Gad, it's, yeah, I thought it was Jack Black at first because it seemed like the kind of stupid role that Jack Black would do, whereas I feel like Josh Gad has a bit more integrity, even though I like Jack Black. But yeah, no, Josh Gad's character was, was one of the worst, actually. is a real kind of, really fattest as well. They're always kind of laughing about the fact that he's a fat and lazy slob and he's unsuccessful and he's lost everything, even though he worked hard to get his money and then lost it because of the market, whereas the market is rewarding his mediocre brother and yeah it's just he's just the butt of a lot of very very unsavory jokes and nothing else and and again that could have been quite an interesting point in a movie that was better paced and better thought out in the first instance is that he has lost and then his brother is then succeeding off the back of it and then that could have created some really interesting conflict but instead it it doesn't um 
which is yeah another of this movie's crimes i i think like judy greer's character again it would work so well in a better movie because it just just show how exploitative the bad guys are without it then turning around and trying to make the bad guys into good guys yeah um definitely and it's like uh and, and i think that's the thing that made me so angry watching this was how much wasted potential there was in this film um i mean if it wasn't for the fact that they that they made it into a rom-com it probably wouldn't be on our list to watch now so at least you know hey we got an episode out of it but it's like it could have been it could have been a really interesting movie but instead it's just not and it's just frustrating yeah that's very very true actually we're not yeah obviously we're we're romantic film guys this is our thing this is what we do so i'm glad we managed to talk about it because it's very very interesting but yeah the, they they tacked on a romantic plot and the lesson is you can't you can't tack it on if there's something else there that's the real intrigue go for that don't tack it on so i'm wondering like could you make a one hour long really good movie out of love and other drugs if we just cut out all of the romate relationship stuff between anne hathaway mm. and jake gyllenhaal so if we had so how much of their relationship is essential to the central plot which is bad guy becomes pharmaceutical rep he struggles a bit. He then finds a way to get into the company, into the doctors. He then succeeds. And and that could be the movie. And then at the end of that, you'd be like, oh, bloody hell, this this is an awful industry. It's terrible. And it, and it, um, yeah. Well, it so it would end the with, with them toasting Viagra and it would end with them winning. Yes. Yeah. And that could be the end point. You could do like an hour long cut. And Hathaway's role in it would be that she's the way that Jake Gyllenhaal then manages to break into the doctor's office effectively. Yeah, and, and then, then you could show them having sex her. at the end just to show what a manly douche he is. <laughs> and then and then rather than having like the relationship side of it, it would just be that he exploits her and that's it. Yeah, exactly. That's all that's all his character is for. Yeah, and 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 so he plays that role. He plays the villain. He plays the villain that you follow. And that would be great. That would be a really interesting movie. So do you reckon it could be done? I mean, I'd I do it, it myself done, if I had yeah. the time. You'd need to do um, some some serious editing, but yeah, if if you're out there and you're into that kind of thing, do it. Yeah, make us an hour long version of Love and Other Drugs, which would win Oscars. That's what yeah. that, you'll that, you'll win. That's your task, you'll win the big boys it? don't cry Oscar. Yeah, I would. I'd make you a trophy if someone does that for us. Like, send it in. We'll genuinely make we'll, you a trophy. We'll actually make you a trophy and send it to you because I'd be really intrigued to see if you could make a great movie out of this, and I'm fairly certain that you could. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible with a lot of very, very good editing. Because mm. you could also cut down the scenes that are too long, strip it down to only the sassiest and most biting dialogue, which is there, buried yeah. in, a, in amongst all the stupid scenes that go on forever. Yeah, it, it, it's there and it could be dealt with. Um, it's so yeah, just, yeah. That's your challenge. Yeah, get on it, listeners. That's what we want. And you can you can only use 90s songs and only songs that were released in 1997 and that were number one because uh, me and friend of the podcast Adam Molesky were talking about this earlier because there's a theory that 1997 doesn't exist but there was actually a lot of really really good music released in 1997 we were looking at UK number ones though not American you have to use only UK number wait 1997 doesn't exist yeah I can't remember why. There's some kind of theory that it, it's that it's fake news or that it 
it didn't actually happen because there was no good music released that year or something. I've just searched 1997 does not exist on Google and I'm not getting anything. And I was expecting there to be like a flat earth style conspiracy <laughs> about this. And I see nothing. No. Uh, I don't I believe it, you. I don't believe this is true. It might have just been something I started putting around, putting about to, um, to annoy <laughs> Radiohead fans. Uh, oh, was that but when, the, uh... um, is that when their, their best album that secretly not their best album came out? Okay, computer. Yeah. More like yeah. mediocre Mac. <laughs> it may, may also have been around the time they started doing the I'm a PC, I'm a Mac advert. Or was that later? Maybe. That? Maybe. I don't know. I, um, I thought it was a Who little knows? bit later, but it might, might, might predate where I think it was. Um, okay, anyway, computer's a num- good album. Number one. It is a good album. UK... <sighs> yeah. Have we have we talked about Radiohead on here? Uh, I don't know. I feel very disdainful towards them. Uh, uh, we're going to get a lot of emails about this now, probably, aren't we? Because they have a lot of fans who really love what they do. But honestly, they're a band who have three or four incredible songs, and the rest is unlistenable, atonal horseshit. And people act like it's literary genius. It's not. It's shit. I I disagree. <laughs> I, I don't love them as much as other people do. I, d- I don't love them as much as other people do. Their first album is a piece of shit. Pablo Honey can get in the fucking bin. Terrible, See, terrible I, album. I don't mind one or two songs on Pablo it is Honey. awful. Apart from Creep, it is a terrible album. And Creep is Anyone a can play guitar. I like that one. No. And nobody can play that song and not sound like a prick. Get in the bin. Get in the bin. Um, <laughs> the, be- the Benz is an amazing album. The Benz is great really good that has the good songs on it um okay computer is a good album there's a little bit of fluff there which i do not care for but there is also some really good dark stuff on there which i'm a big fan of songs like climbing up the walls are really nasty and i like that nasty side of radiohead um and then they started i'm looking at okay computer what's what songs are on this where's the track listing oh see even their wikipedia page is annoying it's there's the <laughs> too much <laughs> yeah there's too much stuff on okay there. Um, okay yeah. no surprises is a good song that's a very very good song but yeah all of the other ones on this on this album karma police is a fucking funereal dirge <laughs> where is the where is the track oh here it is right at the end track listing um air, airbag is good paranoid android has two out of three good bits and it's like you know it's that proggy one where there's three different sections two out of three are good um exit music for a film is wonderful no the benz has the good songs on it so you've got fake plastic trees that is an awesome awesome pop song just is an incredible song that that is a, a that's their best song i reckon it's got a huge massive chorus and it does the the quiet loud thing so well. Um, the Benz is good. High and dry is good. Street spirit is just about acceptable. Yeah, the rest of it can fuck off. <laughs> I also remember the year that we got cable TV um, was the year that Hail to the Thief came out. And I was watching MTV2 a lot, trying to get good music. And every fucking time I turned it on, there was a video for whatever the lead single from that album was on with Tom York 
warbling over some nonsensical guitar and some videos with like flowers sped up and it just irritated me so much that it was, I think that just uh, put me off Radiohead forever. Oh, what was the uh what was the first single off that? I know the one you mean. I really love uh I really love um that album. I think it's really good. I'm a huge fan. Um less so like the the two electronic albums they did before Kid A and Amnesiac. There's like a few good tracks on it, like like the incredibly depressing pyramid song, which is like everybody hates, but I really love it. <laughs> I think it's great. I would have, I would have thought you'd be into Kid A. No, it's all right. It's all right. If I'm going to be listening to electro- weird electronic music from that time, I'm listening to stuff like Sneaker Pimps, though. Yeah, um, Sneaker Pimps are a thousand times more interesting if, than Radiohead. If you like Radiohead, but you want your music to be much more cohesive and interesting, go and listen to Sneaker Pimps. They're great. Imagine, Radi- imagine Radiohead meets Massive Attack um, with a bit of Bowie thrown in, and you've got Sneaker Pimps, and they're great. Go listen to them if you've not heard of them. Um, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, Hail to the Thief. There, there is probably the one where he's walking around a forest and he turns into a tree. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Um, and what what I like about Hell to the Thief is that it's completely off the wall and it just jumps schizophrenically between different genres all over the place. And it acts like a sort of best of thematically of Radiohead, um, which I really like. It's like you listen to it and be like, oh yeah, here's the Rocky one. Oh, here's the weird electronic one. Oh, here's the, the, the bass keys on a piano played really slowly while someone moans and someone shakes a shaker <laughs> song. <laughs> um, but then every... Yeah. Ev- Everything they've released since Hail to the Thief has been boring shit, apart from one song off the last album. And I know Radiohead fans don't want to hear me say that, but seriously, guys, what the fuck happened? Oh, we're going to get so much email. <laughs> the last album, the last album they did was was much better than the last few. A, a moon shaped pool, um, but it's that is a good name still i like that it's still it's still not great still not like their best but much better than the last couple that they've done before that um so paddy what would you rather do would you rather listen to two hours of the radiohead songs you hate or watch uh love and other drugs again i'd much rather watch love and other drugs again even though it's a terrible film. There were some moments of genuine intrigue and some great performances and things that just about carried it through. It wasn't totally unwatchable. It was incredibly irritating for a number of reasons, but it wasn't completely unwatchable. Whereas Radiohead's music is genuinely unlistenable, apart from the, <laughs> the aforementioned, apart from the aforementioned handful of songs. But yeah, I think I find it harder. It irritates me more when you know that they're capable of writing really good songs but they're choosing not to do it because people are feeding the myth that their their atonal farting is genius. See, I think like I I have respect for Radiohead because they've reached a point where they can do whatever the fuck they want. And and I don't think they're they at the, genuinely... the Robert De Niro stage of their career. Yeah, they're they're the Robert De Niro of, of Brit <laughs> rock. Where their, like... um, their new album's gonna be called Dirty Grandpa. <laughs> do you not think though that there's correlations there's correlations between weezer and radiohead in that you've got this central genius figure surrounded by other very interesting musicians um where they they reach their high point very early on in their career and they've got this huge weight of expectations on their shoulders but rather than 
cave to those expectations. They've gone out and done whatever the hell they want to do. And and there's yeah. those parallels there. Whereas like Weezer have they've obviously gone down the route of music which you much prefer in that it's actually even their shit stuff is melodic. Even their shit stuff gets stuck in your head. Yeah, um, I can't stop partying, partying. <laughs> I can't stop partying, partying. I gotta have the drums. I gotta have. Do you remember when we supported the band by the name of Decimals? Oh yes, yeah, actually I do, yeah. Which was um, after the automatic broke up, the shouty bloke formed this new band called Decimals, and we were we opened for them in this tiny club in Exeter, and um, the shouty bloke was there, and that uh, he was singing that song like over and over to himself while we were sound checking like really loudly. <laughs> he was <laughs> really he was, made me laugh. He was livid at the turnout, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it wasn't a a great turnout, to be fair. We had a decent number of people turn up to watch us, but then they all had to go off elsewhere. And so they were basically playing to us and a few other people that stuck around. Everyone went upstairs to get shit-faced on Reef. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yeah. Um, And yeah, he was Listeners probably don't know what Reef is. It was like, it was a really terrible Alcopop that didn't last very long, but for the the brief time that we were students, it was very popular. It was it was it was everywhere. It was great. Um, it looks like you can get it on Amazon. No way. Hold on. Are you sure you can? You're buy... not looking at the band. Oh uh, no, it's currently unavailable. I was hoping I could get uh. a case of twelve. Oh, that's a real shame, man. Yeah, you're, thought, you're, you're not looking thought... up the band Reef and place your hands. Oh, place your hands. <laughs> On my bum. I can never remember <laughs> what the <laughs> what the actual next line is. Oh, I can't remember either. Hold on. Reef, place your hands. I really love that song. Every so often I'll just break into it. Apropos of nothing. It... It comes on quite a lot, quite often. It didn't come on at my wedding, but it comes on quite a lot at kind of wedding discos and occasions like that. And it always takes you by surprise in a good way, doesn't it? You're always like, it does, yeah, yeah, I can get down to this. Put hey, your hands of... up. Put your hands up. I think the lyrics are put your hands on, not put your hands up. Oh. Which uh, I... a, a common mistake I've been... from us. A... Been sold a lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Lyrics. Right, I found the lyrics. Um, oh, place your hands on my hope. Hope. Run your oh, fingers through my soul. All right. <laughs> You've got to remember the <laughs> all right. How um, do you spell all right? Uh, alt writer, I think. So alt right oh. ER. So someone <laughs> who's a member of the That something very, very different now. <laughs> alt writer. Um, and the way that I feel right now, oh Lord, it may go. Put your hands on, put your hands on. Put your on. hands on. Yeah. Tune. Uh, so that, yeah, anyone who doesn't know this song is going to be completely lost for the last couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a chance that you might not know Place Your Hands. I think if, yeah, if you're of the, the generation below us, Generation Me or whatever the fuck the idiots in the press are calling them, you, you might not know this song. <laughs> you might have it's once great. heard it at, at your uncle's wedding disco and been like, 
I'm off to get a drink. Call me when Craig David's on. It's it's an awesome song, and you should listen to it. And you should listen to it Reef because Reef are cool. They're very cool. Never got the recognition they deserved. But no, you you were comparing Weezer and Radiohead, and I think that is somewhat fair. Apart from for the fact that Weezer are awesome and Radiohead are trash. <laughs> but then lots of people think that Weezer are trash and Radiohead are awesome. Yeah, and um, uh, uh, to be fair, for, for Weezer, the the um, fame happened almost overnight because they their first album was really, really successful and they've never been able to come back from it, whereas it took Radiohead at least a couple of albums to get to that place, I think. But I, I feel like with, Weezer with, have had a few a few kind of genuinely really big hits, and I don't know that Radiohead have in the same way. Well, Radiohead, um, they had their big hit, Creep, and that still I think that still hangs over them a little bit. Is that they're the band that did Creep? Yeah, um, and they hate playing it, and, and they hate playing and it, stuff. and everything like that. Um, so then Radiohead, like their main hits, all came off the first two albums, didn't they? So it was it was creep and then it was all the stuff off the bends was massive and then after that like okay computer as an album has gone down in history as one of the greatest albums of all time but in terms of singles off okay computer none of them seem to like resonate as strongly with the average bloke who's like playing the guitar at an open mic night Nah, for them it's fake plastic trees which is a great song which is a great song. Or I suppose maybe No Surprises. Yeah. Either of those are open mic night quality. Yeah. Whereas, you know, having performed a lot of Weezer at a lot of open mic nights in my time, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> no one wants to hear you sing <laughs> Where's My Sex? Is that where you're going oh, with no. that? <laughs> no, no, I've never done that at an open mic night or ever. <laughs> I'd still rather um, listen to that than than any of the non-good Radiohead stuff, though. Yeah, I, I, in my opinion, they're all awful. All music is awful. There's no good <laughs> Everything is bad. Everything is bad. I've been listening to Nine Inch Nails too long, and everything is bad. Yeah. No, well, no, we were talking about 1997, so um, also came out that, that year is The Fat of the Land by The Prodigy, which oh, is no, a wicked that album. Is a, that is a great album. So I'm going to say that if you're going to do the remake of Love and Other Drugs where it's only an hour long and it's like the the drugs of Wall Street or the Wolf of Drug Street or whatever, <laughs> you can only use um, the album The Fat of the Land by The Prodigy. Right, I'm looking up songs from 1997. You had I'll Be Missing You by Sean Coombs, aka The Puff Daddy. Um, yeah, Umbop, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba, Block oh, Rocking yeah. Beats by Chemical Brothers. How do I live without you? I want to know by Leanne Rhymes. Um, Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. All rights going to Rolling Stones Ugh. because they fucking stole the it, Verve. you losers. Um, the Verve had one good album. It was not the one with Bittersweet Symphony on. It was the one before. Awful band. <laughs> Awful. Not not a listenable song of month. All complete dirges. <laughs> no, their second album I'm a big fan of. I can't remember what it's called now, but their second album was good. Um the one that yeah. they've made their career off is is boring. Boring, boring, boring. And his and his um, voice. He's like Bob Dylan, but even worse. 
<laughs> you had you had the you had the good Blur songs in 1997. You had Beetle Bum and Song Two, and the ones that people jump at when they're on at an indie night. <laughs> yeah, I've come to really really hate Song Two because it's it's a bit laddish, isn't it? But I used to like it. I used to think it was a good song. I think the concept behind it when they made Song 2, when they wrote Song 2, was really interesting because they were basically kind of doing a pastiche of of um, uh, like Nirvana and grunge music, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, that, which yeah, is quite there interesting. There was some, some thought went into there was it. Some, there was some merit to it, but much like everything, people didn't understand it and and uh, idiots, <laughs> which I think is, 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 the, is the right way to think about anything good everything yeah. gets ruined um you had a u2 song that i don't know called staring at the sun yeah i'm not gonna know. go and look that up i don't know that song um what did you think of bono's recent comments about music being too girly by the way oh he said he said what uh i don't i didn't even know that that had happened and now i now i feel dead inside because <laughs> bono is a fucking douchebag he said there needs to be more anger in music and that men need to be able to feel anger in music, which they can't do at the moment. And I'm like, yeah, Bono, because U2 has always been about anger. When I think about <laughs> Mate, angry... U2, they're angry about having to pay their taxes and that is about it. <laughs> when, when I think about, you know what, I'm feeling really angry. I feel like I really ne- need to, to let some aggression out. I always go home and listen to With or Without You. That that always <laughs> yeah. sets me right. That always that, that, that gives is, me the catharsis, you know. That is one of maybe two U two songs that I sort of like. Is that and Sunday Vertigo. Bloody Sunday? <laughs> no, <laughs> no uh, Sunday Bloody I, Sunday. That is a genuinely good song about the Irish struggle. You know what's really good? The Saul Williams cover version of Sunday Bloody Sunday. So now you don't even need to listen to the U2 version of Sunday Bloody Sunday. You can listen to a better version. I have not heard that. It's really good. Check it out. Um, yeah. yeah but, so, but I, I thought it was interesting of Barbie Girl by Aqua. So, and Ooh Are Just a Little Bit by Gina G, aka oh, the best shit. song of all time. Love Gina G. Never got the career she deserved. And I think that'll do for 1907 music. So we have proved that 1997 yeah. did exist and that there was... Yeah, sorry. You were about music. to make a, a salient point before I interrupted you to remind you of the existence of Aqua. <laughs> I think I was going to say that, that you two are fucking boring. I think that was, yeah. <laughs> that was the point I was going to make. Their music is dull and it's not angry. And if people wanted to listen to angry music, they wouldn't be listening to you two and that Bono is no authority on whether music today is angry enough. No, he's he is a granddad. <laughs> Old man yells at cloud. He is your dad. The U two edition. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Bono, please just shut up and go away. <laughs> you know, you can get a tote bag that says "Shut up, Morrissey" in quite nice type on it. Um, I think oh, yes, they should I've do a Bono one as well. I definitely buy a tote bag that says "Shut Up Bono" on it. So if you're the person who runs that Etsy store, get on it. That should definitely, um, yeah, that should definitely happen. Yeah. So we've ended up talking quite a lot about '90s music because the film that we chose to talk about was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it was very boring, and it was very irritating. 
um we turned to each other about like an hour and 10 minutes in and we're just like bloody hell it's still going on and then we looked at it and be like and we thought oh it can't be that much longer left and we looked at it's like we're only like halfway through oh my god yeah let's just say that i i watched it while i was ironing and i managed to do all of my ironing and all of my wife's ironing for the week as well during that film and that was a lot of ironing that is that is ironing a lot of ironing yeah um, speaking uh, one thing one song they did use that I absolutely adore and that I was kind of unsure about being used in it was um way over yonder in the minor key by Billy Bragg oh, right. okay yeah I absolutely adore that song um it's from the album Mermaid Avenue do you know about Mermaid Avenue no I don't there's three volumes and it's a collaboration between Billy Bragg and Wilco and they kind of alternate oh, cool. songs on them and it's all of them taking songs from Woody Guthrie's like unused lyrics because you know woody guthrie was like unbelievably prolific and wrote thousands of songs that never got heard and stuff so it's all billy bragg and wilco taking his lyrics and putting them to music and way over yonder in the minor key was one of the big ones off the first i think the first volume of mermaid avenue and it's a lovely song and it was used quite late on in their relationship for a montage of kind of relationship development where if they'd have been asked they'd have written dialogue that properly established that why they loved each other and how their relationship came to blossom and stuff but instead you had a montage of them doing romantic stuff to this quite sad song and it sort of half worked i think because i loved the song but i also felt like they were desecrating it yeah oh okay um the one thing that i always think about with billy billy bragg is um here they have a a version of him in monkey dust oh yeah a, a concert to free ivan dobsky um and uh they do like a spoof billy bragg song where it's just him going and i blame thatcher and i blame blair and a little before him we had major and i kind of blame james callahan <laughs> <laughs> free ivan dobsky and it made me it makes like i i really like billy bragg as a person um i think he's he is he, a wonderful person he's great and like he, he his music is great um but it made me laugh so much it's a really good send-up of him um there's a really funny one by bill bailey as well which is called unisex chip shop that's, <laughs> that's very much worth <laughs> It's all about the oppression of a girl behind the chip shop counter and the sexual fascism that was lurking by the gherkins. It's it's very good. But oh, yeah, that's... shout out to Billy Bragg. He's one of yeah. the good guys. We love you, Billy. You're great. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else did I put down about this film? I put Josh Gad's hairy bum, which you get to see towards the end. There, there is some good bum action in this. I think there's there's three bums. Three bums. But it, there are a lot of bums. It's hard to keep track of the bums. <laughs> I um I also wrote down, you can hear Olaf in Josh Gad's voice and it is weird. It is. When he's talking about... Is... He, he's having that conversation about masturbating. And you're like, oh, Olaf, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's puerile, but unfortunately it's really hard to shake. And I think that is going to haunt him for the rest of his career as his most iconic role although as i didn't think about that when he was playing lefou to luke evans as a guest on because he was very very good in that role so he definitely still has a chance but i find it 
very hard to divorce him from Olaf. Yeah, I um, yeah, I think when he's in something where I'm able to, where where he's really good and it's really entertaining, I'm very much able to to keep him separate from Olaf. But in a movie like this, he's just Olaf to me, and it, it's it becomes very depressing when it's in a film like this. <laughs> like, oh Olaf, how could you? Yeah, poor Olaf. So yeah, I th- I think I don't really have anything more to say on this. Do you? Do you have any trivia or intrigue? No, or... no. I mean, it all seems a bit boring on the trivia front. Oh, that's that's really disappointing as well. You always manage to yeah. find trivia. I do, but yeah, for this one, I've not really been able to find any. I was. It would have been there. Oh, did you know it was based on a book? Yeah, it was based on oh. a book. Yeah. Um, but the one thing oh. is that there's a there's a, a couple of continuity errors. So they talk about Xanax being a drug made by Pfizer, um, but that wasn't true until 2002 when they merged with another company. Ooh. So that actually oh. wouldn't have been entirely accurate. I love me some corporate continuity errors. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Um, that'll that's kind of it. <laughs> in terms of interesting ones <laughs> the other ones are like the position yeah. of a box of cornflakes changes during a conversation at some point in the oh, movie God. So i don't care are there, are there people who write down all that stuff for every film and put it on imdb yeah i think i think people are like this is wrong this is why movies are dying well if you have time to do that you definitely have time to re-edit this film down to an hour soundtrack only to smack my bitch up by the prodigy so <laughs> get on it please do it yeah um but yeah no i don't have anything uh, else to say about this movie i think maybe we should just let it die we should let it die but well if we're going to rate it is it better or worse than new year's eve which we also <sighs> which we watched on the last episode and which also sucked but it sucked in a completely different way didn't it so i yeah. find it hard to assess which is worse and which is better it's and hard such i'm it... torn about where to put it numbers wise because this movie it aimed for something and fucking failed in every single way whereas new year's eve aimed for nothing and achieved nothing (laughs) (laughs) which you know well done it aimed to get bobby de niro to see the ball drop before he died (laughs) (laughs) i'll show him some balls before he dies Okay, on on that basis, I think it is better than New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it's. I'd say I I was very, I was very irritated watching this movie. Perhaps more, perhaps more more irritated than I was watching New Year's Eve. But um, but I think it's a better film. What what would our rating system be out of twenty? Oh God, how many um, how many Viagra pills would you take? out of 20 for this movie how many would you need to to keep it up through the length of the film (laughs) i'm gonna give it well let's see i gave new year's eve a five didn't i so let's let's go let's give it a seven and i think that's being that's being charitable and generous actually seven out of 20 yeah i'm going for an eight out of 20 um they it's it tried to do something interesting. It should have done something interesting and they should have just got rid of the romance stuff and just focused on being a character study of scumbags. Um, yeah. But instead, it 
it has this stupid romance which goes nowhere and just feels really seedy and horrible um so yeah, yeah. bonus points for bum action josh gad jake gyllenhaal yeah. and hathaway bum. if it didn't have josh gad's hairy bum it definitely would have been a six yeah jake gyllenhaal gets naked a lot in this film which i think is a positive for everybody involved so that's mm-hmm. what bumps it above your seven for me to an eight is it's got some yeah if, if you're able to look past the seediness of it and just enjoy the nudity great why not yeah enjoy jake gyllenhaal being nude um jake gyllenhaal <laughs> um, he's he's a much he's a far inferior actor to his sister maggie gyllenhaal i'm gonna say uh, I even disagree. though he is quite good i think they're both really good i th- i think he yeah. i think jake gyllenhaal is unfairly treated because he's in so many because he started his career in a few kind of duds but he's been in amazing stuff for the last like decade yeah no I, I just yeah i think i've seen and enjoyed more stuff with her in than i have with him but it's easy to forget what a broad range of stuff he's done it doesn't yeah. have to be a competition i i think it has to be a competition much like every sibling yeah. rivalry <laughs> yeah they are siblings after all yeah um no, no, maggie I, gyllenhaal I, I think... will always win because of her incredible performance in a way we go oh yes yeah she is great in that but yeah i love i, I love reject them. your aggression <laughs> But I love I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I think he's a really good actor, and I it pains me that he's in this movie. Um, when he could have been in yes, he could have been used in something else instead. Yes, me too. So you know, watch it if you're intrigued about the yeah the pharmaceutical industry and how not to make a film about it. I guess, but yeah, be prepared to be bored and frustrated. Yeah, don't basically don't watch this movie. If you're gonna watch, a, <laughs> if you're gonna watch a Jake Gyllenhaal movie from 2010, go and watch Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time, which is a, oh shit, he was in that. Was he the Prince of Persia? He was the Prince of Persia. Um, no way. It is. I an, never watched it. It's actually much better than people give it credit for, and I don't. I don't say this lightly. It's actually a really entertaining fantasy action romp. Um, it looked quite stupid in a good way. Yes, it is stupid in a good way. Fans of the game series in general hate it. But um, I'm a fan of the game series, and I can tell you that they're all wrong. It's really entertaining. Um, yeah, cool. it's great. So watch that instead. That's your homework. If you feel like you wanted that's to watch Love and Other Drugs, go and watch uh, Prince of Persia instead. We've set you your homework. Well, you can yes. watch the, when you've when you've finished remaking it to down to an hour soundtrack by the Prodigy. That's your rewar- that's your treat is to watch Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time. And then, if you want to be a real trooper. Um, try and edit Prince of Persia The Sands of Time down into a critique of the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen Prince of Persia Sands of Time, but I'm going to guess that that would be quite a tall order. It is all about Prozac, the entire film. It's amazing, really. <laughs> Prince um, of Prozac. <laughs> Prozac of Persia. <laughs> I would watch that. Yeah, get on it, Hollywood. Come on. We've given you so many great ideas. Prince of Prozac. A fantasy yeah. adventure I mean, about antidepressants. I mean, Hollywood's New Year's resolution be to would should be to finally start giving us our fucking money because we've given them so many great ideas and one of them has to get made sooner or later. You know, whether it's Sensations or whether it's Prince of Prozac, I don't really mind at this point. Just give us the money. 
Get, give us that Hollywood money. That's all we're yeah. asking for. Where's my fucking money, Denny? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Thinking yeah, which. Yeah. Can we just talk about the disaster artist briefly? Because we've now both seen it. Let's and talk about it. I think it. we both agreed that it was really good. But yeah, Zac Efron's performance in that, the Efronator, as Dan Janjigian, who plays Chris R., absolutely amazing performance where he's just in there and he's like swearing to himself and kind of like punching himself and stuff getting into the angry frame of mind i think it's zach efron's best work i love i love him in this in that movie it's not his best work for me but i've seen a lot more of his stuff than you have um so like his yeah. performance in bad neighbors slash neighbors depending on where you are in the world um is is amazing um and uh but yeah he's so good and like everybody across the board is so good in it do you not think yeah every single performance is good especially a lot of them are kind of quite minor performances like nathan fielder and charlene yi and all of these people in the cast who are legitimately hilarious people outside of the film who just kind of want to be involved in it i guess because of the the myth of the room is so powerful or they thought it would be a fun project to be involved with but I think it's one of the best things that James Franco has ever made as well. I think his performance is absolutely hilarious, as is Dave Franco's. And his James Franco's approach to filmmaking, I really like here, is, is at its best here because he's tried to make something really intelligent and intellectual and to do justice to an existing amazing story and an amazing book. But he's also managed to make a film that is really accessible, really fun, and genuinely very, very kind of welcoming. Like, I don't think you have to have seen The Room or read the book or really know anything about it to just enjoy this film as a kind of straight-up, like, buddy bromance film. Yeah, I definitely agree, actually. Like, I feel like I got a lot out of it as a fan of The Room. Um, but I, yeah, I I think anybody could come into The Disaster Artist and enjoy it just off the bat. It's that kind of movie. Yeah, it's shot in a very tender and loving way. And I think, you know, James Franco can only go up from here. I think it's it's really proof that he's he's a great guy. Yeah, it's it, he's great in it. Everybody's great in it. It's perfect. It's one of my favorite movies of the year for sure of 2017. I might add, now that yeah, we're in 2018. Absolutely. So, go and go and watch that instead of Love and Other Drugs. Yeah. Yeah, watch that. Don't watch Love and Other Drugs. Watch The Disaster Artist and watch Prince so, of Persia. I don't think I have anything else to talk about, really, other than, yeah, just want to wish you all a very, very happy new year. And, you know, thank you all yeah. very much for tuning in. But it is yeah, my choice next. Yes, yeah. What is your choice? I'm excited. So, it's, um, I think it came up. Um, while I was flicking through the Netflix the other day and it was in fact um, a request from friend of the podcast Kate Gliven around the time that it came out in the cinema uh, which is The Big Sick and I figured I wanted to watch it at the time but I figured we probably wouldn't both be able to get to the cinema as your local cinema seems to you know only get the, the special ones or like get things late or whatever so i didn't want to make you try and go to the cinema if you couldn't make it so but i've been wanting to see it for a while it looks really good 
um it's about um it's about race and love and it's kind of partially based on truth and the main guy it's like partially based on his story and stuff so i think it looks really good and very smart and it's very very recent so that should provide a nice a nice break i think yeah i'm excited just to warn you in advance it's getting a one out of 20 because it doesn't include josh gad's naked ass but um (laughs) you know yeah and it it doesn't have the uber douchebaggery of jake gyllenhaal being a (laughs) pharmaceutical sales rep and it i'm assuming that it doesn't have the macarena in it but if i find that it does have the macarena uh, macarena in it i'm gonna fucking turn it off not out of 10 yeah (laughs) not out of 20 how bad would a film have to be for us to give it a zero i think five was the lowest i've gone maybe i think maybe four or five is the lowest i've gone actually yeah hmm that's a that's a question we can explore next time but yeah thanks a lot for tuning in and sorry if you had to sit through love and other drugs but it's all uphill from here yes yeah so as always you can drop us a line at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com or on twitter at bigboysdon'tpod yeah so thank you very much for listening in yeah thanks a lot and we'll be back next week to talk about the big sick bye 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 bye